scores again as Villa beat Leicester in front of nobody watching on TV. Some guy called Slomani plays for City. We play in the Europa League against Zoya's on Thursday. All this on For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and I'm in For Fox Sake HQ1, the main office. And over in the second office, although is it really, Rob? I think it should be maybe half and half. I always say I'm in the main one, although I'm actually in a slightly different location. I'm further upstairs in the same building, but it should be uh, adequate in terms of the uh, in terms of the sound. Uh, you're in uh, the other for Fox 8 HQ, let's say the equally good. I am indeed. The only reason it's ever been for Fox 8 HQ two is because you decided to call where you record from for Fox 8 HQ one. Uh, but also, we did used to, I would say, most of our episodes have been recorded there at, for Fox Sake HQ1. So it can it can stay as top dog for now. Great. Uh, that, that's what I was thinking as well. The fact that we have recorded together in the same place at that dislocation means it does get top billing. Right. Slow news week. Nothing really happens. And once again, the football world turned on its head and more on that later and the possibilities of what might happen in the future regarding English football, European football, whether you've heard about it by now or not, probably have. But anyway, we have lots to get through with Leicester, their defeat against Villa, the look forward to their Europa League tie on Thursday, the look forward to the game on Sunday, and that's going to be pretty much the format from now on, kids. So keep your hats on. At least we haven't got a major injury crisis at the football club and also a downturn in form to worry about, Rob. It's and it was kind of predictable. We we mentioned how we were worried against Aston Villa. We were worried about the way that they play, the form that they're in, but also their lineup and players who have always played well against Leicester. Barkley one nil. It can kind of be written. We lost one nil to Chelsea. What in June one nil Barkley, and we've lost one nil to Aston Villa with a late Barkley goal. Now, first of all. Uh, we have lots of questions. We ask for questions every week, and lots of people have have got have sent in their questions either through Facebook or through the old Twitter. And I think we can really go through these one by one, or, or kind of in a group, and, uh, and and cover really all aspects. Just uh, kind of glossing over the questions when they came through. We'll turn to Facebook, Rob, and uh, and we'll start with. Um, David Lusby goes, uh, can't for the life uh, understand why we got rid of Benkovic when we have got so many injuries. Uh, just the injuries alone. Ricardo Soyuncu now out for three months. Uh, we've got Armati out for a, a period of time, probably more likely a month and a half, maybe two months. Uh, Indeedy, roughly the same as, say, Soyuncu. Uh, Wes Morgan's obviously got a, a problem. McCarrion knocks the likes of Evans and also Jamie Vardy. We've got a half-fit... James Madison, we've got a not being carried by Dennis Pratt. We've got players who haven't played for quite a while 
who have now been given either first team responsibilities or were brought on and looked way off the pace. And in Slobani's case, we've got a guy who's not played for over a thousand days all of a sudden turn up playing Premier League football. At the whole scope of things, it does look a little bit of a mess at the moment. And the question itself, why did we get rid of Benkovic when we've got so many injuries? That can apply to maybe Dewsbury Hall, who's gone out on loan. The one thing I will say with the loans, though, just to answer the question, I'd say the fact that they're on loan means that they can be called back. I don't believe that they would have sent them there without a callback at any time, like we had with Harvey Barnes, for example, at West Brom, where all of a sudden he was playing so well, we brought him back and he was in the team. So I presume we can call them back at any time if it gets worse, which, of course, we don't want to get worse. Yeah, you'd imagine that that, that kind of clause was put in there, but... You know, Brennan Rodgers has spoken about players like Benkovic and has said that there is no point in them being at the at Leicester at the moment because he doesn't feel that they're at a stage of their development where they can come in to a Premier League level uh, and perform to a Premier League level. So therefore, it's not going to be good for their development and it's not, not going to really be any good for the Leicester squad either. Um, I, I totally understand where the question is coming from. Uh, but I think it does allow us to talk about the broader point of Leicester's injury uh, problems rather than the Benkovic thing. Benkovic clearly is not ready to play first-team football for Leicester City, otherwise he wouldn't have gone out on loan. So that for me, that that is quite a straightforward black-and-white question and answer there. Um, but the injury problems themselves are ju- just that. They are a problem because it's not sort of a selection, a handful of players that are in and out of the first team. It's a number of key players for significant periods of time. You know, Soyuncu played very, very regularly last season. Wilfred Ndidi is one of the first names on the team sheet. It's such an important role, that defensive midfield role. And there are so few players that can that can play as effectively as him across the world, really. Um so him being out is is obviously an issue. Uh, when you're playing a wing-back system, not having Ricardo to call upon is a problem. Like you say, Madison's not, not anywhere near, or not seemingly not near, playing 90 minutes at the, at the level that he needs to. Dennis Pratt, not sure whether he had 90 minutes in him, and that was the reason that they sort of switched them so early that, that, he, that he didn't. All in all... You, you would struggle you would usually hope that you'd be able to list more fit players than unfit players at the club but I'm not sure that's the case for us at the moment and you know there are people that have um non Leicester fans are saying well that's just an excuse because you're looking for some reason why you lost a villa now it's not an excuse but it is a contributing factor because Aston Villa are in form the only team they've conceded to at the moment is Liverpool um made some good signings, gathering a bit of momentum, and we didn't have the necessary personnel, Not maybe not in the first team, uh, in the starting eleven, but certainly to come from the bench to make any kind of impact on what was a game that we struggled to get a, a, a foothold in for large periods. So I think the depth or lack thereof in the squad was a major contributing factor to... to to Aston Villa's victory and the injury issue is something that is going to affect us because we've got 
a game on Thursday and then a game on Sunday. The games will not stop coming between now and Christmas. Yeah, Oscar writes in, he says, why do most fans, why were they happy or reasonably happy with a squat death after three wins in a row, only now to realise a couple of long-term injuries and it's enough to cause lethal trouble, he puts. And I understand where he's coming from. And I, what I would say is, and, and you touched on it there with the Wilfred and Didi factor, is if you look at the players who are missing, and I know they're out at the moment, and that's just the nature of football and the way that football will be um, across the board this season. I don't think any club really is going to escape like some clubs have done in the past, a la Leicester 15-16. Uh, but, but obviously at the moment we're in quite a bit of trouble with injuries. But don't get too down. That's that's my kind of message I've been banding around my head all day. At the moment it's very easy to be down, lose two on the bounce, lose to a late goal, injuries, games coming thick and fast. Also, regarding not being able to go to the games, etc., and everything that's happening at the moment, it's quite easy to be very up and down when it comes to football, which is the case of football anyway. I just take a step back and go, hang on, just look look at the team that's not playing. If you put in Ricardo Soyuncu, look at Wesley Fofana, we'll talk about what a great debut uh, he had. Uh, Wilfred Ndidi, a fully fit Madison Vardy. If you play Leicester's first team with everyone fit, it looks very good. And you look at the signings that we've made, and at the moment, they've slotted in very well. Fafana with the one game looks a real talent, and we just couldn't say that before because we hadn't seen him at all. Uh, Under is, again, a loan signing, and part of the reason maybe we got him on loan was the fact that he's not fully fit and up to match speed, and they didn't really want to take a risk, and we'll see what happens there. Um and, uh, and and so at the moment, it looks all okay, apart from the fact that we've got this big injury crisis. So that, that that's what I would say. Fans are very, uh, and, and rightly so, they get up when, when they're playing well and they get down and maybe too down when things go against them. The game against Villa, it was, and we will touch on the, the, the pay-per-view at the moment. I didn't pay for it, and that's quite obvious. I know you didn't pay for it. And I'd imagine lots of other fans didn't pay for it. What a great uh, uh, thing happened in in Newcastle by raising what twenty thousand pounds at the current time of recording uh, for a local food bank by supporters donating their fifteen pounds to that cause instead of um, giving it for pay per view. And once again, to repeat, if you did pay for it, then that's fine. You know, don't worry. It's not. Uh, it, we're not going to completely hate you, and, and also you shouldn't feel that we're we're kind of attacking you at all. Uh, we did a, a a vote, by the way, and um, just to kind of gauge how many people would pay for it, and in the in the hundreds that voted uh, overall on a few different platforms, if you kind of merge them together, uh, it's in the nineties. Essentially, ninety percent said no, so it's kind of an overwhelming. Um, factor, and I still think it will be overturned at some point, but uh, but we'll see how that kind of progresses. So uh, it was always going to be difficult against Villa if we just touch on the game. Barclay, a late goal. I think Leicester were, were kind of okay from what I saw in highlights and listened to, etc. They, they looked to be okay, but just no real cutting edge. And I think they, they held Villa until late on, and Villa really grew into the game, and I sensed that they were going to have one or two golden opportunities late on and I think as it got to the final 20 uh, probably nil nil maybe was the right result or if you had to pick one side who if they were going to win one nil 
it would be Villa who maybe deserved that. And it was a great goal. Uh, a lot of people have been criticising Hamza Chowdhury. His starting position wasn't great. Um, and also a lot of people kind of bemoaning the fact that they was taken off Mendy for Chowdhury, kind of a light-for-light light change when we should really be going for the game. But you got to realise in-game management, sometimes if you, hey, if you haven't got the players on the bench, but also if in the situation you look at it and go, right, we are taking the nil-nil here and the fresh pair of legs in a very similar position. And then there's people out there who think that maybe he should be starting ahead of Mendy. And I presume most people would have thought that before the season started, if it was a toss-up between those two. And um, and yes, it was unfortunate, but it was also a very good goal. And and Villa are playing very well. We do have a real problem with creativity when there's no Madison and no Jamie Vardy. It really is a, a lack of creativity. And people think, well, you got Harley Barnes, etc. Yeah, it doesn't quite work out that way, does it? Yeah, we all know you need that either element of directness or getting the ball in the middle someone there as well but also one man can't just do it on his own he can't just run past the entire team and and score or, or lay the ball back that just doesn't happen and when you've got a midfield of one guy who's very very limited and who's been playing well in Mendy but Tillemans I, I would imagine Leicester's midfield is, is fairly easy to not shut down but to set up a formation against to try and nullify uh, and especially when we have the injury crisis that we got. So overall, I'm very disappointed we didn't get the points. But overall, I don't think it might be the biggest cataclysmic, not error, but uh, disaster that I think some people may have just kind of gone over the top because it's Villa. Um, I think we, we played okay, but we are just missing some vital, vital players. And then the question becomes... How do we, how do we get results without those? That's will be the question that we will be answering uh, over the course of the next forty minutes or so. Yeah, not a disaster by any stretch of the imagination. Fairly even game. Uh, I didn't pay for it, but I did manage to uh, to watch some of it. I won't say any more than that. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, on balance. If any side was going to win 1-0, as you said, it was going to be Villa because they just looked like they were capable of making something else happen. They had Barkley and Grealish on the ball in our half looking like something was going to happen. Whereas, you know, when we got into their half, it just didn't happen on the day. You know, the, the Barnes didn't quite get into the game. Perez didn't quite get into the game. Pratt didn't have the usual impact that he does have. But again, you've got to look at it and... and think that Aston Villa's defensively have improved dramatically since the restart, really. And and I know I watched a big feature on it and, and they'd done so much work defensively over the sort of mini pre-season before the restart of the Premier League The goalkeeper, season. Rob. The goalkeeper plays a massive role there. I, I think he's... Yeah, of course he does. Yeah, good. yeah. We picked that up last week, didn't we? That um, having a keeper that you can trust behind you automatically makes a defence more confident anyway. Um, you know, they've added cash in it right back from Forrest and they just they just look a better unit. Um, and they're a more settled side as well. I don't think Dean Smith knew which players to play where and when um, before the restart, but they've, they've, they've settled in well um, and they've started well. And you always worry when we predict a draw on the podcast against anybody other than probably the top six or the big six, if you will, that it's probably 
we're we're probably hedging our bets and thinking actually there's a chance we could lose this one because I think we both sort of admitted that last week. So it's not a disaster by any stretch. Um, the I don't really subscribe to the people that have been hammering Brendan Rodgers and and Hamza Chowdhury on social media saying why on earth did he bring Mendy off for Chowdhury that lost us the game. Look. If Chowdhury comes on for Mendy and does what he did against Newcastle and just side foots one into the top bins, then you're absolutely lauding Brendan Rodgers for making that kind of change. Um, and you, you're giving Hamza Chowdhury the, the man as the as the match winner. So, you know, it, it he can't predict what's going to happen in the game. So I don't think that it was that substitution that individually contributed to the Villa goal. But overall, definitely not a disaster. Now, the question I'm going to ask you, Rob, is is one that was sent in regarding Fafana. A few questions, actually, uh, regarding Fafana looks decent. What, you know, what a really good debut. You obviously saw more of the game than I did. Um, he sounded very composed and... I, I when we said it was the well, I said it was the the biggest gamble in Leicester's history with the amount of money and and the players that we needed and it turns out that we uh, that we really do. Uh, it it sounded a, a tremendous debut. It sounded a it sounds like he's just a very and this this might sound a little stupid again. Everyone going well, yeah, <laughs> fully enough because you're saying it, but it sounds like he is a very good footballer. <laughs> How about that for something? Um, but. You got players who, especially centre back, especially at centre back, where you go into the recent Leicester history and you go Taggart, Elliot, um, even even players like say Johnny Evans, Wes Morgan. There's your example where you could Robert Huth. You can be a top class, top class centre half, league winning centre half, and technically not be actually a very good footballer. Just be ultra competent and fantastic at certain aspects and then the team set up around it and the communication again with the goalkeeper is vital and that's what we had and and still have with Schmeichel but Fafana the first thing I I heard him do was was a Cruyff turn inside his own box or just on the outside maybe not that's what you want all the time from your centre half but Soyuncu we know is a, is a good footballer and he also has the defensive awareness and capabilities to make him a very good player. But this guy has, from what I can understand from the previous game, a brilliant leap on him, a fantastic technical football ability, um, but also a competent defender as well. He he kind of, and again, ticks every box, which I, I hate that saying, but there you go. It, it, it ticks all the defensive boxes, but also he looks like he can actually play football at a very high level in maybe other positions. And you don't want to get too excited about a debut. You might have a debut for a centre forward who, who bags a hat-trick and two or three of them might be deflections and tap-ins, etc. And you think he's the best player and might not score for the next 10 games. This guy, one goal, uh, one game, it was, apart from the results, possibly the most ideal debut that we could have expected. Yeah, I'd echo the sentiments of let's not get carried away because I watched Ahmed Moussa tear apart uh, Barcelona in Stockholm Ooh. a few years ago and I thought we'd, we'd got the best striker in the world then and look what happened to him. I'm not saying for a second that the same thing's going to happen with Fafana, but he has got all of the attributes... Um, or seems to have from from the first ninety minutes I've seen of him in a Leicester shirt, 
to succeed in the Premier League. And that that was really the message from Brendan Rodgers. You know, in the week, uh, Brendan Rodgers was being asked, you know, you've got a, an injury crisis at centre-back. Do you are you being forced basically to put Fafana into the team? And Rogers said, "Well, no, but if I have, to, I'm not being forced to. But if I have to play him, I've got no hesitation to do so because he's come in as a terrific talent for the future. But he's also perfectly capable of being in the first team now. And and that's the difference between somebody like Fafana and somebody like Benkovic. Rogers doesn't think Benkovic is ready for the first team, so out he goes. Rogers thinks Fafana is ready for the first team, so he spends thirty million pounds on him and starts him." in the game against Aston Villa. Absolutely fine. Physically, he looks great. He's quick, he's strong. He's, as you say, he's got a terrific leap on him. Uh, very composed on the ball. And I think at that age, to be 19 and making your Premier League debut, you've got to have something about your character. And and, and I know Brendan Rodgers is big on recruiting players based on their character and, and how they are uh, as a person. Uh, how they are as a professional, how they fit into the team ethic. Um, and it looks like Fafana's got that good balance of a steady sort of old head on young shoulders, but also the confidence to step in and say, yeah, I can play Premier League at 19, no problem. I don't care if I've played a season and a half at St Etienne. I can walk straight into your team. I can play first team whenever you need me to, and I'll be absolutely fine with that. And I think we got the measure of that confidence, even on the social media um, bandwagon that was going round and round for weeks before the signing was confirmed, where, where essentially Fafana was trying to push it through on social media by all intents and purposes. And he was trying, and he, he was very clear that he was ready to make the next step. That ambition, that confidence matched with everything else makes it look like he's got all the attributes to be worth every penny of the £30 million on the evidence of what we have so far very positive start and i'm looking forward to seeing more of very it. positive and you like to readdress the situation after five or six games and we'll see what happens with him but but also you need to readdress the situation with the football club as a whole and expectations and your not overall targets but what what you expect from leicester this season with all that's going on in the world the fixture list that we've got it's a case of not just getting by, but being almost ready for when, and we hope it's, well, Christ, we hope it's tomorrow, but we hope that by the end of the season or towards the end of the season, and especially next season, football will be back to how we know it. And if that's the case, what will the football club be like with the first team playing squad all fit? And my first thing, and I can't stop thinking about this with Fafana, is that I'm looking forward to next season now going, if he's going to be a centre-half alongside, say, Soyuncu or in a back three with Evans, that looks fantastic. That is, you can see where in the addition of maybe one or two others, we could have a, 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 a serious, serious team. And I know you're looking forward, but again, at the moment, just with what's going on in the world, you, you, you have to do that. You have to look forward to, you know, you've, I've been planning the last few days with friends about going to go to that golf tournament, go to this one, go to there next year on the understanding that hopefully everything's okay. You know, looking forward to things and, and, and setting these plans. And I was excited not just for the current time, but for later on, for the second half of the season, for the start of next season with Fafana. Um, th there's that. And then there's there's something else. And it's the, the shape of a Islam Slamani, Rob. 
before we talk about Samani, what did you think when Rogers started to talk about Samani in the press and started to talk about how what his strengths are? Now, this is a guy who's been nowhere near the club, nowhere near the first team for years. Was it just over a thousand days since he last played? No plans at all with Slomani. It's just a matter of time before he leaves on a free or whatever. He's always going to be out on loan. He's been not given a place in the Europa League squad. He's um, not been given a place anywhere near the first team. Told to the press by the manager that he's going to be basically not in his plans. And then all of a sudden, a few games, a few days before the game against Villa, he's been talked up by the manager. And there he is on the bench. And not only is he on the bench... He comes off the bloody bench and he walks onto the pitch. What? What? It all happened very quickly, didn't it? Um, but what I appreciate is the fact that Brendan Rodgers has been very honest about the situation. He said that the club tried to get rid of him in the summer uh, and basically they couldn't for whatever reason. It's it's possibly because he's 32 and, he'd, and his wage demands are probably outrageous and, and we're still forking out plenty of that. Um, I think from our point of view... If you've got a player um, of his potential pedigree, I can't say pedigree because he's not really done it that much in the Premier League, but you know, you look at wherever else he's been and he's he's scored goals, even on his loan spells while he's been at Leicester, he's done relatively well um, in patches. Then you know you've got a striker of that experience and and of a, of a slightly different ability uh, or a sk- different skill set to the ones that you've already got and you can't get rid of him, then I've got absolutely no problem whatsoever with him coming back into the fold uh, as an option for Leicester. We talked at the back end of last season about George Hurst being on the bench and being absolutely nowhere near ready for Premier League football. Um, and I would rather have Slomani on the bench than George Hurst because, you know, Slomani has got something at, at some point to offer the team. Um and and there's no point whatsoever if you, you there's no there's no way of getting rid of him now until January, unless you sever his contract, which financially isn't in our interest, especially not with Jamie Vardy, you know, feeling a bit of tightness here, having a little niggle there. So I've got no issue whatsoever with him coming back into the squad, and I do genuinely believe Brendan Rodgers wouldn't bring him in if he was a, if he was the kind of player that's going to upset the apple cart. It it seems to me that. Everybody wanted him to move away, including Slomani probably. It didn't happen, and now it's a case of, right, I'm at this club, um, I'm going to knuckle down and play. And Rodgers has gone, well, I've got this striker. I, I, he's eligible to play. Let's let's use him. Um, in his game against Villa, he didn't he didn't look great. However, he he looked willing. Um, and I think that's something that we that some people don't necessarily see with Slomani. Because he's not got bags of pace and he doesn't charge about everywhere all the time. Sometimes fans can sort of misconstrue that and think it doesn't look bothered. First thing he did was come on and show for the ball, um, which I don't really think he and Acho did for most of the game. And Slomani gives you a, an option for link-up play. He looked after the ball relatively well most of the time. He offers a different physical presence, whereas Mings and Conser had Ian Acho in the back pocket for pretty much the entire game. He's very lonely up there, Ian Acho. Now, Samani didn't get himself into any goal-scoring opportunities of any note, but the Leicester players didn't put him into any goal-scoring opportunities of any note. And Rodgers has almost said this week, that uh, in post-match, that Leicester have got to relearn how to play with a striker like Slomani. And, and 
yes, I understand that to a certain extent. Um, is it going to work with him just being dragged on for the last 10 minutes as a plan B, in inverted commas? Not sure. But what I will say about the fans is we're very, very fickle bunch of people. I say we, I'm not counting myself in this particular opinion, but everybody's been saying for a long time, when 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 a Brendan Rodgers game hasn't gone to plan, everyone's going, oh, we had no plan B. Where's the big striker on a bench? Didn't look like we were chasing it in the last five minutes. And then Slomani comes on against Villa. Leicester don't play to his strengths particularly. Can't really get him in the game, just like they couldn't get Inacho in the game. And all of a sudden, it's Slomani's fault. Slomani's a donkey. Slomani's rubbish. He should never be anywhere near the first team. And I'm like, what do you want? Do you want him to try a plan B? Or do you not? Because you can't say, here's the plan B, get Slomani on, and then Slomani comes on and you don't like the plan B. I think Slomani could be a useful player for us between now and January. Especially if Vardy's not always going to be fit. Especially with the games that we've got coming up. Um, and... It, it, it makes sense to me to use him. But the problem is he's not played any football since March because everyone was trying to get rid of him. So he's not played any pre-season friendly. It's going to take him some time to get up to speed. We're willing to give Madison the time to play 20 minutes here, half an hour there to get back up to speed. We've got to be able to do the same with Slomani. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I somewhat disagree, to be honest. I uh, I am a fan of Slomani. I am a fan of Slomani when we bought him and when we had him in the first couple of seasons, say, and we should have maybe played more to his strengths and it maybe worked at times and didn't work at other times. And overall, his record was, was, was fairly decent. It was just an awkward situation and maybe one of those players you look back on and go, yeah, it could have really worked out better with, say, Cranbridge as well. You look back even further with him and what he's gone on to do. I think it's a right mess, is my take on Slomani. And at the end there, you mentioned about him not being fit. I think he's massively way off being fit and being ready to play for Brendan Rodgers' Leicester. I think he would do a job, obviously. But I think Slomani coming onto the field puts a full stop on what was... I think a very messy last, say, 10 days of the transfer window and also up until the transfer window closing for the championship because Brendan Rodgers always said he wanted five players and we got three and we got players in who we're all looking forward to seeing and overall looks good. But when you don't include Slomani and Gray in your Europa League squad and then you bring Slomani on to the field of play in the Premier League a few days before you play in the Europa League. That, to me, says that the plan has gone seriously wrong in the two and a half, two weeks or so, in between those things being finalised, the squad, and then the deadline. Now, do Leicester have to play to his strengths? Of course they do. But that's not the players on the field, mainly. That's the manager as well. You can bring Slomani on, but not bringing on Mark Albrighton at the same time, that's odd. Now, if you want Slomani to be on there to hold the ball up and to bring other players into the game who are on the field, fine. And you're not necessarily going to use him for maybe his goal threat. I know that sounds weird when you have a centre-forward coming onto the field, but what we mentioned earlier about settling for the draw, if you're not playing well and still a point in the Premier League, he looked, he looked off the pace and... 
I've got no problem with him being around the squad. I've just got a problem with the fact that he's not involved in Europa League. We'll talk about Europa League soon and how it would be a perfect game for players to get minutes under their belt. It would have been a great game to have played Slomani from the start and gone, right, you're playing against a, the perceived poorest team in, in the competition in our league and you're at home, you're at the King Power. Here's your chance. Here's your chance. Not against a Premier League side, but that's not the case. Now, I know circumstances do change in football, but if Leicester are going to use Islam Soleimani, um, Brendan Rodgers himself is going to need to realise what he needs. There's no use him playing in the Vardy role, absolutely none whatsoever. George Hurst would be a better option. I don't think it really suits Iniacho, to be perfectly honest. I always think it would be better with someone like Perez as a number nine if we play our normal way. Now, do we completely rip everything up and go 4-4-2, stick him up top with Iniacho alongside him? Well, possibly. If he's going to be used, it's going to have to be either as a everything's gone wrong, throw him on, see what happens job, or the team are going to have to seriously change their style of football because I just don't think he fits that style. The problem is we don't have any other options, really. And that's a kind of a sad state of affairs. Now, I hope he comes on and plays really well and scores the goals. It'd be fantastic. But this is more troubling for me than maybe some of the injuries. The injuries, players can get over injuries and can come back and other players get injured, fine, whatever. That's football. And we're just going through a bad period. But Slomani coming onto the pitch, I can see that maybe at the end of the season, looking back at that and going, wow, that was a real thing. Because two weeks earlier, he was out the door, nowhere near the, the side, nowhere near the squad, and nowhere near the Europa League squad because he wasn't in included. What Demari Gray's thinking, no idea. How he's still at the club because he's obviously not wanted by by Brendan Rodgers. We've we've got Kieran Dewsbury Hall who's not in the Europa League squad who's out on loan. It's it's just a little bit of a mess to me. I and I didn't like it when I saw him on the bench. I, I laughed when I first saw him and went, "That's bizarre." And then when he came on, it was even more bizarre. Now. Who knows if he's going to, you know, lose half a stone and become the Slamani that we know and we thought we bought and, and we saw in, in glimpses in the first two years. I very, very much doubt it. I think there's more likely that Slamani's probably going to get injured in the next week or so, probably in training, and we actually won't see him again in a Leicester shirt. I, <laughs> and I, I, you'd have got massive odds about him being on the field anyway at some points for Leicester again but it's yeah it's a right mess and if we're going down that avenue now after five games where we've won three already and we're on the verge of European football for only the whatever fifth fourth time in the club's history that's a just a bad situation I'd rather see George Hurst on the pitch because that's a youngster a promising youngster coming through I'd rather see a Hopefully, a, a new signing, a new younger centre forward signed, which I thought we all thought was going to get, who's going to be behind Vardy in the pecking order and learn the tricks of the trade from the best player that's ever played for the football club. That hasn't happened. I can understand players going out on loan, and I'm a big fan of players going out on loan, but to have Slomani coming onto the pitch, that reeks of desperation for me. We were worried, weren't we, as we got closer and closer to the end of the transfer window and there was very little in the way of movements in, particularly as during one of our pre-season preview podcasts, we talked about 
a forward position or a wide position certainly being the one of the main focus areas. And yes, we got Cengiz under, but we, we wanted a centre-forward, didn't we? And it had to be the right kind of centre-forward. It had to be somebody that would be aware that we were more often than not going to play one up front and that was more often than not going to be Jamie Vardy, but that they would have a real opportunity within the next year to 18 months to start to step into those boots a little bit and become the focal point of the club's attack. Now, that didn't materialise, and you know that's just the situation we're in. Certain media outlets reporting that Leicester pretty much couldn't afford another signing, couldn't afford a striker, or couldn't afford the kind of striker that they wanted to fill that role anyway. Um, so yeah, to get to this position, it it is a little bit um, frustrating and... It, and <laughs> You know, I can understand the term desperation, but at the end of the day, Slomani is a Leicester player for, through whatever the situation is, uh, and Leicester City needed a striker, so so in he went. Now, I don't like the fact that you've jinxed him for injury now because I joked on Twitter the other day that I was going to have a tenor on him becoming top goalscorer to go alongside my Daniel Amati for player of the season punt. But, you know... If he if he can have an impact for us, great. Um, but if, you know we've we've looked the times when we've not looked great this season, and I know there's only been a few because we're only five games in six games in. Let's not get too carried away. But it's when we've been trying to be a little bit too precise in the final third, a bit too tippy tappy, bit too let's get a few extra passes in. Whereas Slomani gives you somebody that's going to attack a ball in the box if you lift it in a little bit early if you find yourself half a yard of space in the final third you can put the ball in there and he's going to attack it so I think Brendan Rodgers has, has said that the players need to learn how to play with Slomani I, I totally agree with you Pete that he needs to instill that tactic into Leicester and say look if Slomani's coming on in the 70th minute and we've not managed to create anything with this um, quick one-touch, possession-based, um, tippy-tappy, round-the-edge-of-the-box stuff, then maybe for the last 20, we just try and find ourselves half a yard in a wide position and put a ball in the box. You don't even need to bring all Brighton on if you don't want to. Perez and Barnes are perfectly capable of crossing the ball. We never see them do it because there's, although Vardy's all right in the air, there's never really a target in there. Whereas if you just say, look, if you've got half a yard... Don't come back 20 yards into the centre of midfield for us to recycle it out to the other side and try again. Stick it in an area and let's see what Slomani can get you because there's a reason he's coming on the pitch and it's because we've not been able to break down the Villa defence in any other way. So he does give you a different option, but it's not going to happen if he comes on and you try and play exactly the same way. It does. There's there's two things really with Slomani as well. It he is the kind of the the, the epitome of, of what happened I mentioned in the transfer window, but if he's thirty two years old, he's in his last year, I believe, in his contract. Now, if we can't send him out on loan to a club, that speaks volumes. If he can't go and play anywhere in Portugal or wherever over in Turkey, say, or wherever in the world, if we can't do that for his final year, that speaks a lot for me. And secondly, if he's the option coming off the bench, now I understand that maybe targets that were 
in Brendan Rodgers thinking didn't come true. And I, 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 the, the one thing with that, I think it's it's not necessarily, yes, it's bad. We wanted all the targets in, but, but also I think it shows that those targets are very high. I don't think that we're signing Dross. We look at the Wesley Fofana. We're going to sign someone for 30 million quid no one's heard of and who looks the business. I think he wanted big players. I think he wanted money spent. Everyone mentions the guy up in, at Celtic, right? Edward, he's going to cost a fortune. He's going to cost, well, 30, 40 million pounds, even more maybe. Now, that didn't happen. So, us signing a striker means that. I think they're going for big names and hopefully they turn up maybe in January, hopefully in the summer. But at some point we'll need to replace Vardy or at least sign more centre forwards. But Slomani, I think if that doesn't happen, they could have easily got in players who could have done a job that's better than Slomani might do. And we've had some of the best substitutes in recent times with the likes of Leonardo Ajoa coming on there's, there's your prime example I just think that it, it's it's so so desperate for me you've got a guy who we can't ship out on loan who all of who's not involved in Europe who we could have got a player who maybe could have done a better job by being a free transfer or a loan signing before the the window closed but no we've got a guy who is woefully short of match fitness and and who knows hopefully it works out but i just think it it, it really it's not great it's not good at all and uh, well hopefully he scores but i agree with you we, we the game against villa wasn't going the direction that slomani really needs he needs Leicester to have possession in and around the penalty area out wide getting the balls in he needs really someone like madison to be on the field especially when um, when he's there and Albrighton would be ideal but then again Mark Albrighton is slowly dripping out of the first team fixture list and he's not necessarily going to be on the bench alongside Slimani so there's your your option the fact that he's not in the Europa League squad means that he can't get time under his belt he's going to have to play for the under 23s it's uh yeah it's 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 interesting put it that way but uh, but we we move on because there's another question from one battle says how can we, or how should we as well, balance the Premier League squad and the Europa League given all the injuries? And the ideal scenario would be for me to be playing these players in the Europa League, a, a, a competition we want to take really seriously, but on the understanding that maybe take one or two risks against uh, the likes of Zoya um, Lahansk this, this Thursday. But we can't. It would have been a great game for Gray and Slomani to play and get time, but we can't because they're not in the squad. And we've got, I've gone into probably more detail really than I needed to earlier why I think that was an issue. But I think at the moment, to answer the question, the balance should be who is actually fit and raring to go. If they're fit, they're in. Uh, Fafana, for example, should easily be in there because, again, that that would be great for him just to get time in. And maybe if we get, and I can't think at the moment, actually, we will be in the next three or four weeks, another centre-half that can play. So Fafana will have to play alongside Evans. And maybe if Evans can't play or we're in a position halfway through the game where hopefully we're two up, say, you can bring Wes on, for example, that sort of thing. I, I, it's just going to have to be a managed situation. I don't think there's any plans are out the window now. All plans are out the window. And that's on playing style, um, mainly because we've got, obviously got Slomani back in the fold as well. I think it's a case of surviving. 
and we've got to get the best team out on the field of play on Thursday, get those wins early, beat Zoya on Thursday, beat Athens next Thursday, try and get so far in that league where we can then maybe rest and chop and change the side an awful lot. That's what I would do. I would go hard, win those games. Now, does that affect the Premier League side? I don't really think so, because we are kind of down to the bare bones anyway in certain positions. And I think it's just a case of the next few weeks, put your hats on, lads and lasses, because it's going to be a bit rough, the going. I'm just looking at the Europa League squad, actually, and at the moment we've got 20 players that are probably going to be fit for Thursday's game for an 18-man squad. Doesn't leave you an awful lot of wiggle room, does it? Um, you know, it's it's a tricky one because at the moment, it, like you say, it has to just be managed in in the way that you play whoever is fit um, without risking anybody for either a long-term injury or at least for, you know, overdoing it before the game at the weekend. So you're looking at it and, and three of those 20 are goalkeepers. So the outfield options are very, very limited. Um, I think we'll probably see players like Luke Thomas because you've got to have an element of protection for players like Justin and Castagna who have played um, pretty much every minute of every game so far in, in, in positions, especially with wing, wing-back positions that, that, have, that require a lot of physicality. Um, you lose one of those, your balance is upset again for Sunday against Arsenal. So I think somebody like Luke Thomas comes in. Uh, Chowdhury probably plays from the start. Maybe Madison gets his get tries to get somewhere near ninety minutes under his belt. He could always rely on Albrighton to do a job for you. Um, Under might make his first um, significant contribution in a Leicester shirt. But by and large, there's not going to be wholesale changes. Whereas if you had the rest of the availability. Um, that you know we've talked the the injury list to to death in this podcast so far but you you have those and you can think right I'm going to start 11 players in the premier league and then maybe I'm going to change six seven maybe even eight of them against a team like Zoria Luhansk and and still hope to come away with a result or still back the team to come away with a result not got that luxury at the moment so it is it is about managing it game by game seeing who's got the legs to play not risking anybody that's carrying a niggle, not risking anybody where you don't have any more decent cover. Um, there are some experienced names available there, though. Um, not sure what the the fitness levels are of somebody like Christian Fuchs or Wes Morgan, but you know it's not like you're chucking in a load of teenagers. There are experienced players still available, but the the opportunity to chop and change is fairly limited. Yeah, it it is a case of trying to just make best of with what you got. I, I'm I'm still for the case of really, really going hard in this and, and getting the win. The the formation will be very interesting because um, Zoya, their standard is going to be difficult to kind of measure. Thursday, 8 o'clock, by the way, kickoff. Uh, they're from the Ukraine, fairly low scoring, solid side from what I can make out. Uh, they've not had the greatest start, but they managed to get a draw away in Kiev. So it looks like they're quite compact and they're a good football inside, like to keep the ball, but they are gettable. It's difficult to try and equate to English football levels where they are. I heard on the radio 
a uh, an expert apparently saying that they're that like a, a a decent championship side level that sort of thing. But um, I I would like to see uh, Under play certainly. I would like uh, also to see Chowdhury play for obvious reasons. Needs game time um, and also needs reassurance as well. Needs uh, you know a, a kind of um, an arm round to say look you, you know you're still here you're still writing the plans. Come and come and grab that spot. Come and you know come and do well. But he also needs to go and do it. Um, I think Fuchs might well play, actually. Um, I think he could play as a left-back and on the understanding that, again, the possibility of, and I know we all expect this or hope this every game, but you go two or three up. That could be the case in the first half. And then Leicester then can maybe swap and change a few players around, take off, say, Johnny Evans, move Fuchs inside into a centre-half partnership with Fafana, and then you go from there and you kind of game manage the situation from being in a very strong position. I would also, and I think this is probably the most vital area of the side, I'd love to see Iniacho and also Perez score. And how that's going to work out, not entirely sure. It depends on the formation, whether they go into, a say, a 4-3-1-2 situation where you have those two up top together, which I'd like or whether one starts and the other one comes on and they're both in the number nine role, the one thing that they can't be is isolated. They can't be on their own up top. They're not Jamie Vardy. Only very rare players can play up front on their own, and Vardy's one of them. So they need help. They need players close to him. Whoever's number 10, if it's James Madison, he needs to be close to Kletchi uh, Iniacho or... Uh, Perez, if he's playing as a number nine, which sadly seems to be the case that he's not going to be playing that role for Leicester. I think he's played a few times last year, but I don't recall him actually being given that central berth in the main striking role when Vardy's not there. I think this would be a perfect opportunity. The ball needs to be played in. He can actually do well in the air. He scored goals with his head at the King Power against Leicester. It's something we mentioned when we signed the guy. That's a big strong point, really, of his game, which is surprising because you wouldn't think that with a guy like him. So that's where I, I, that's what I would do. I, I would go with that. Um, I think someone like Albrighton will probably in, be in the squad and he's a perfect player to maybe come on. I don't know whether you'd be starting him, again, with no Slomani as well. So... That's what I would do. I'd like to see Under play. I'd like to see the centre forwards get their chance and score and get confident because it seems like they're going to be used an awful lot this year. Fardy's going to be picking up these knocks. Um, I'd love to see Perez in that number nine. Give him a chance. See what happens. You never know. He could bag a trick against these and then run out at the Emirates on, on Sunday and, and, and do well in the number nine role. And, and, and Kalechi then is number three striker. Who knows? Who knows what can happen in this year? Who knows with 2020 and and uh, the year of Islam Slomani, as I'm going to start calling it. But uh, it's 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 just a case of trying to get the best side out on the field at that time and then maybe managing after the game is underway. That's what I would do, rather than beforehand, manage during. But um, overall, I'm very confident, in fact, about a win on Thursday. I think that we are at a level that's completely above them. And I think if we get our passing game in order and start pulling them apart and, and, and creating chances, I think we can do well. I think if you look at uh, and I, the, when we play lower league opposition in cup competitions, for example, I, I think we've looked fairly comfortable over the last few years, especially since Brendan Rodgers has been there. I think we've done very well. We've not really been uh, been hanging on in games or been in any, any difficult situations, really. You get the odd one or two here and there. But overall, I think when we're playing against 
a um, a side right down towards the bottom of the league uh, who are struggling, but also lower league opposition. I think we do fairly well in keeping the ball and, and creating chances. Whether we take them or not, that's a different scenario. So I think when we play against this side... I can still see Leicester dominating, and I think it's going to be a comfortable win. And I think they'll win. Um, I think they'll win to nil as well. I think they'll win two, three nil. Hopefully, they score early, and then they can again game manage the squad during the game rather than do it beforehand. So I'm going to go for. I'm going to be confident. A three nil win, and whoever gets the opening berth up front, it's probably going to be um, Iniacho. Him to bag. Um, and maybe a couple as well, a couple of goals for uh, for Kalechi, which will put a smile on everyone's face, I'm sure. Of course it would, yeah. We we need the players that come in that aren't necessarily always first name on the team sheet to play well, get themselves some confidence. With Ian Acho and Perez, that's gold. With Chowdhury, it's an industrious performance in the centre of midfield, ball winning, ball playing, just getting on the ball. Uh, I don't think for the rest of them, the, the more experienced ones, it's it's about that. I think they understand the role that they have at the club now, or Brighton, Fuchs, Morgan, that kind of player. Um, I think they would know that their job is to come in, do their job, uh, and, and make sure that they are a steadying influence on everybody else. But yeah, I, it would be interesting how we line up. I've got no idea how they'll line up. I'm sure that, that Brendan Rodgers has been keeping an eye closely on the Ukrainian Premier League. Um, they finished third in the Ukrainian Premier League last year behind um, Shakhtar Donetsk and Dynamo Kiev. So, you know, and I don't recognise any of the team names below them. So that doesn't really give you a measure. They were miles off of the top two, um, but above the rest of the league. We'll we'll see what kind of um, what kind of test they they pose on Thursday night. I just think with with the stuttering momentum and the and the the squad shortage. Um, I don't know necessarily that it's going to be quite so clear cut as as you're hoping, Pete. So I'm going to go for a uh, bit of a nervy two one. A nervy two one, and after the delights of European football, we go to the Emirates on Sunday. Normally a cracking game. Sadly, pay per view. I'm I'm sure it's the pay per view game as well, and uh, it's normally the first game of the season, isn't it? Away at Arsenal, it's normally the curtain raiser, and we always play well, and then lose by one goal in seven or something, don't we? 4-3. I don't think Vardy will play on Thursday. I think whatever fitness situation with Vardy, he's going to be rested no matter what, even if he's available. And they want him against Arsenal. Now, I think this game is certainly still winnable for Leicester. I think that they will be slightly more open with their football and attacking early on than they were at the Emirates. Obviously, that works out fantastic. Uh, at the Etihad, sorry, but at the Emirates, at Arsenal, I think they're going to be um, in the game more early on. I don't think Arsenal will keep the ball as well as Man City do. And I think Leicester will be able to to get at them. And hopefully Vardy's in the side, because without him, I will... Well, it's going to be a home win for me if Vardy's not playing. Quite simply, I think Leicester will have to really come out of their shell to incorporate whoever's up front... Um, replacing Jamie Vardy and that will then leave them open to Arsenal and I can't see us getting anything from the game if Vardy's there the game plan changes and I think we can then win the game that's how much really of an effect he has on the side now who's going to play is completely unpredictable but I think also one thing that Brendan will say surely to the players coming into the side on Thursday is 
you do well here, you're in the side against Arsenal. If uh, Cengiz Under does really well, then you're in the first team at the Emirates. A, a great kind of incentive for these. Now, they might be replacing players who have done okay so far in the Premier League, but that's just the nature of the squad in these two games every week for the next umpteen weeks. That's what we've got now. Two games every single week for the next few months. So, um, I think it rests on Vardy. If Vardy plays, we've got a chance. Because at the moment, Premier League football is a bit nuts, isn't it? And I can just see a, a raring to go Vardy, who's missed a game um, in the Premier League, missed a game in Europe. He's going to be really, really wanting to get at Arsenal. Uh, a team he's done well against. They scored a lot of goals against Arsenal. And I can see Leicester getting something. I can see it being high scoring again. And maybe it goes down to one goal. One goal in seven again. Maybe, hopefully, this time it kind of falls on our side. But um, without Vardy, I really fear for them. In fact, that's my thing. If Vardy plays, we win by a goal. If he doesn't play, we could lose. And we could lose by more than a goal, I'd say. It's very difficult to see where our goals are coming from when Jamie Vardy's not on the pitch. I know... Uh, the Aston Villa game is is one 90-minute uh, example, but it's very, very unclear where the rest of the goals will come from, certainly on a reg- on a more regular or consistent basis. I'd, I'd have to go with you, Pete. If, if Var- if, even if Vardy starts and he's not 100%, I'd, I think it's a, a real struggle for us to win the game. Um, Arsenal uh, have won three, lost two. The two they've lost against in the league are against Liverpool and Manchester City. You know, Arteta is is steadily building his sort of style there, and he's assembling a decent squad. And they've got danger men. They've got danger men everywhere. You know, the wing backs can cause you problems. The front three can cause you problems. Obviously, they've got a Bamiang in there. Um, the midfield looks solid. They defensively look better than they have done recently. All round, Arsenal are um, a, a difficult opposition, and without Vardy to cause them some problems, it's, it is difficult to see how we're going to score enough goals to win that game. So that's the uh, the two games coming up for Leicester. Um, next, uh, mentioned in the uh, the last episode, um, I was right with Vancouver. It was. Um, I nearly mentioned Sam. Now you can believe this if you don't want to, but yeah, if you don't want to believe it, then fine. Um, but I very nearly said it was Sam. But I didn't want to get the name wrong. But uh, uh, the person who recognised my voice when we were on about that in the previous episode, uh, I got the Vancouver bit right because uh, Sam uh, messaged in to say like, yeah, it was me, and sent the picture and all sorts of stuff. So um, I got that one right, kind of. And um, so hello to everyone out there in the world because we do have um, listeners all around every corner of the globe. We have um, we have listeners in in all sorts of places we would never imagine, and uh, and and it's good to uh, to have that big mix and blend, especially at this time. And hope everyone's all well where you are. But um, there is one thing that I'm sure will put a smile on everyone's face, Rob, and that is fantasy football. And the state of the For Fox 8 podcast Fantasy Football League. Let's hear <laughs> that music, please. Here we go then with the top 10. We haven't done this for a while. 
because of the international break, etc. But in 10th place, down into 10th place on 320 points, it's a Vegetable Castagna, Stephen West. Uh, up into joint 8th place with uh, 321 points, David Loosby, who sent in a few questions and reels so, so bad. And also Perco, uh, Mark Perkins, uh, with Canal Fire FC. Cheers, Perco. Uh, down into 7th place. That's uh, Kieran Ford with, for Fook's sake, 332 points. Uh, also on 332 points, up into 6th place, uh, my mate Fordy, Rob Ford, with Gardener's Delight. Uh, in 5th place, up into 5th place, is uh, Islin Weltsin with Benzin, 341 points. Up into 4th place, it is the mighty Frank Sinclair own goal by some schmuck called Pete Selby with 347 points after scoring a massive 102 points this week. More on that later. Into the top three. Down into third place, Ian Barker. Stay home, eat out, get fat. 348 points. Uh, a non-mover in second place, Drake Martin with Drake Water. 351 points. And up into first place, it's Luke Taylor, Taylor Mays. 357 points. So, Luke, you're top, uh, but only 10 points clear of myself. It was a great week on the fantasy football for me. I did burn my wild card, so I've uh, I had a, a full change. I captain Kane. I got Son in there. For my sins, I've got Barkley. Uh, there we are. Uh, Salah scored. Uh, Kilman at the back uh, got the man of the match, etc. So it was it was a a brilliant week. And I've scanned through a few leagues because I am sad. And there's not many players, not many players on there at all who got over a hundred points. So it was a, a very rare, very rare good week. Now I'm just scrolling down, Rob, and I'm not doing this um, to take the mick. Scrolling down. Scrolling down. Scrolling down. Still scrolling. There we are. 59th place. Down into 59th place. Uh, Rob Hayes, that's you. Um, and you're on 281 points. Well, you got 42 points. It wasn't the greatest week in the world for yourself. You got a few warning signs in your side by the looks of things. So uh, there we go. Um, fancy football, eh, Rob? I was really hoping you weren't going to mention that. Um, part twofold really one because I knew that you'd shut up into the top 10 and secondly because I know I had a very 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 slow week that was made to look a tiny bit better by the fact that Vardy didn't play so Luca Dini came off my bench to add seven points to the mix without him that's a, it's a terrible score 42 is no good anyway really um, after a relatively decent start but congratulations to you uh, well done for using your wild card to good effect because it's not always easy to to play those extra sort of bonus rounds on Fantasy Premier League and and make them worth your while. So, well done to you. Let's see if you can sustain that kind of form. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, I do. <laughs> it's uh, it is rare to be we we challenged nearly last year to get into the top ten on occasion, but um, no, it went really well and. Um, there we go. Hopefully it carries on. And um, I think I'm actually going to leave it for this week. I don't think I'm going to make any changes, but there we go. Um, now, 
finally, we mentioned last week, and I hopefully enjoyed um, the podcast last week, the 150th episode. It was slightly different with all that was kicking off with pay-per-view and the future of English football when it comes to the newly announced independent panel and also the semi-coup, as I called it, uh, by the Big Six or so-called Big Six uh, to take control of English football and there were lots of good ideas and some terrible ideas etc so hopefully you enjoyed that I listened back and I, I quite enjoyed it it wasn't quite as preachy as I thought it might have been at one point during recording but um, anyway we're, obviously there's no real reason to mention anything like that or any news stories this week because nothing oh no 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 that's right um, before we've come on air Rob there's a story which I'm sure we're just catching the early stages of but you get every now and again these ideas about, say, European Super Leagues and this, that and the other, and they raise their head. But this seems to be fairly serious, and it seems to be going the same way as the other stories from the last couple of weeks or so. Or oh, actually, no, the last seven days. It, the fact that everything's gone belly up in terms of the world, it seems that the plans that maybe were foot and never really got going and always stutter around have really kicked into gear. And there's talks about a new European Premier League, which would effectively take the place of the Champions League and it would run alongside your domestic leagues. And it would be, say, 16, 18 teams and they would play, what, 30-odd games and they would have playoffs at the end and they would uh, crown a champion. Now, Manchester United and Liverpool at the time have um, been named as some of the chief backers and it's being financed uh, by JP Morgan over in the States, the bank and to the tune of billions, 4.6 billion is being uh, reported, and it's reported it's FIFA-backed, not UEFA as yet, but UEFA, interestingly enough, have not come out and denied this at all. Now, as far as I'm aware, Rob, the Champions League, as it currently remains in place until 2024, now, this does look really serious. This looks like they're using an opportunity that's arisen through... Covid, etc., to say right, this is what we want. We've got the ability of financing this through some mega money stateside um, to have the best clubs in England, say Liverpool, Manchester United, um, well, the biggest clubs, should I say, the biggest clubs in Spain, France, Italy, etc., to play in this 16 to 18 team European Premier League alongside the domestic leagues. Obviously, that would mean that they're participation in European competitions would end and probably domestic cup competitions and they're going to get a huge slice they're going to get hundreds and hundreds of millions instantly and then it would go up according to where you finish in that league now I instantly am quite skeptical about these things because they generally don't come to fruition but it's no coincidence that this has happened in the last seven days it's it seems to be honest, to me, to be really, really serious. It is definitely something that seems to be gathering momentum and a lot of people, as you said, saying that it's it's FIFA-backed and that there's an announcement coming soonish, um, but that UEFA aren't particularly involved um, and whether that's come from FIFA deciding not to involve UEFA or UEFA trying to step away from it and, and cling on to the Champions League um as a as a pre-existing global brand we don't know that that you know football is a hugely 
financial and political um, world tool for lots of people. So there's a lot of people uh, involved at all sorts of different levels who it would benefit them for it to go in a certain direction. Um, there, I've got a few issues with, with it. Um, logistically, first of all, you're essentially doubling the amount of European football matches that you're going to be asking those teams to play. And yes, maybe they pull them out of domestic competitions or whatever. But you're you're increasing an already sort of dense fixture list that way. Um, the money that's being thrown at it is absolutely outrageous. And at a time when, especially on last week's podcast, we were talking about how the finances of football can be filtered slightly more reasonably to ensure the long-term future of all football clubs at whatever level um, and also a time when we're trying to maintain the the competition within the Premier League um, in terms of making sure that all the clubs have got at least some resources with which to compete then to me this this stinks of the beginning of some sort of not not necessarily breakaway league but it's essentially it's going to create massive rifts within domestic leagues because yes the champions league has got some decent prize money of course it has it's got a fair whack of prize money but absolutely nothing compared to the amount of money that's being talked about with this super with this super league so and who then decides which teams get invited into it? Is it invitation only for the first season and then it depends on where you finish in your respective league for the next one? Who knows? But, you know, these are clubs that are already owned by extremely wealthy people who will then be earning loads more money, hundreds of millions of pounds, which then because they've earned it, surely that will mean that they can spend it on players because it's not going to um, it's not going to affect their financial fair play regulations. But at the moment, I don't know. Um, so then they can reinvest it and and buy players and and just increase that gap. Which you know, in recent years, we've seen certain teams trying to creep into the top six. We've done it. You know, we were knocking on the door of the top four fairly unfashionably last year. Um, but it's going to make that even more difficult to the point where you're going to have the six to eight teams that get to play regularly in this Super League uh, in England. And you're then going to have the remaining 12 in the Premier League playing in their own, basically in their own mini league. And I just think it would it would have a negative impact overall. From my initial thoughts on it, would have a negative impact overall on English football and therefore on Leicester City because we are not deemed big enough or successful enough to be the kind of global superstar club that they want playing in their European Super League. And if we're not, then that gap gets bigger and we never get to that point. And that would be disappointing because I think we are slowly but surely building ourselves to try and become one of those established top six, top eight clubs in terms of size, value, um, consistent performance in the Premier League over a number of years. I think this would take that opportunity away from us. It appears at this early stage that the plans were maybe to kind of gazump the Champions League fairly early. But 
I, it looks to me that they've now kind of looked at it and gone, right, if the Champions League's going to remain until 2024 at least, and then more than likely it would have just continued or maybe a slight tweak if nothing came along like this. But they could easily set something up and then go, right, in 2024 this is going to happen and it gives clubs time to kind of adjust. Now, you instantly look towards the Spanish model where you have, say, Man City B-sides entering cup competitions like the League Cup and FA Cup over here. Uh, does it di diminish what they can do in the Premier League? Well, it doesn't diminish the Premier League competition for me because that's what even fans of Liverpool and Man City and Man United, that's what they want to win. This will still be European football. I'm trying, trying to be slightly positive here when it comes to this league because if it's just going to replace the Champions League and they want a league of 16 where they play each other in a round-robin format and it's going to be completely rebranded, it's going to be run by FIFA and it's going to be have its own TV deal and it's going to be mega, mega money compared to the Champions League, which it, it by looks of it, it is, then not an awful lot changes. It means that they probably will have to either forfeit a cup competition over here or, or play their B size, which is not something that we don't want. Um, the problem is, further down the line, does it end up becoming an issue playing in the Premier League. Now, I know fans of the clubs won't stand for that, but if you're a owner of a football club like the Glaciers, which is the number one, really, Glaciers and, say, um, Henry at, uh, and Fairway Sports at Liverpool, but you look at the Glaciers, do the Glaciers care about Manchester United fans and their domestic kind of success? Not really. They want as much money as possible, and that's what they're in it for. And it, that's a cynical way of putting it, but it's I think it's fairly obvious when it comes to the Glaciers. So them getting hundreds of millions just for being in this competition, and it means that they don't have to play in the Carling Cup. It it's it's going to be done, isn't it? You know, they they're going to want this, and it's no surprise that their name has been put forward. It looks to me that it's a really serious thing, and they've put it out there at this time because other things are afoot and other plans have maybe kind of spooked them into into doing this and announcing this and even now saying this the story looks like it's they've kind of announced it to say this is what our intentions are and we're more than likely going to put it on the back burner until 2024 but essentially get used to it because it's happening a deal then can be done with UEFA um, more than likely to pay off UEFA for access to the premier European competition which will then be this league essentially the cup itself, the actual trophy of the Champions League, could literally just be rebranded as this league winner. So you're still playing for the same trophy. And again, that was, I'm kind of thinking what would be the best case scenario. And then elsewhere, the Europa League carries on or it gets renamed or whatever. So it can work. This sort of thing can work. But it is a problem when you look at maybe a, a Super League taking over from the domestic leagues and also the money side, like you said. If these clubs are getting hundreds and hundreds of millions, does that work with financial fair play? Is that fair on other sides in the Premier League? Does it mean that they should be getting their slice of the Premier League money? That's all to come. But I think for me, it just looks a very serious, serious proposal that, you know, th this isn't a couple of people saying, oh, by the way, this is a good idea. This is some proper stuff here. So, you know, maybe in a few... You know, maybe in the 200th episode of For Fox Sake, we'll be looking back going, yeah, 151, one, that was when 
this thing really kind of first announced on that day. And, uh, and we'll wait and see. It's ever-changing, isn't it, the football world? Three weeks ago, we were flying, weren't we, after the game against Man City. Uh, we have a fairly boring international period. We lose uh, against West Ham quite convincingly. We lose at home against Villa. We've got hardly any players fit. It just shows you how quickly things can change. And it looks like things are changing elsewhere in the football world, not just with Leicester. But whatever the case is, Rob, we will be here, won't we? Of course we will. And that's really why we enjoy doing this. Obviously, we uh, have become firm friends over the years, working together and recording the podcast together. Uh, But ultimately, if following Leicester City or following football was boring, then we'd be struggling for content. So our podcast would be boring. Some might argue that it already is. Um, and, And really, we probably wouldn't have got to this point. So we started at the at the beginning with Nigel Pearson being sacked and unsacked. We've been through lots of roller coasters since. So uh, a minor injury blip and a couple of defeats in a row in the Premier League in t- 2020, the year of all years, is just another sort of peak and trough to ride. Uh, and they'll be um, we'll be on the up sooner than uh, sooner than you know it. Huge bombshells left, right, and centre. Third being the creation of this new European Premier League. Second, Islam Slamani playing for Leicester City after over a thousand days. And the biggest bombshell of all this week is myself being in fourth place in the For Fox 8 podcast, Fancy Football League. 